This is Bold Dominion, an explainer for state politics in a changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. We started this show early last year, not too long after a blue wave hit the Virginia legislature. The state government flipped to Democratic control after years of Republican majorities in both the state Senate and the House of Delegates. It felt like a progressive moment, something worth documenting and exploring. The old Dominion was clearly changing, but our big question was, how much? Well, last Tuesday, June 8th, was the Democratic primary for statewide offices, and the results might help answer that question. Quick recap of last week, former Governor Terry McAuliffe handily beat out progressive challengers Jennifer Carroll Foy, Jennifer McClellan, and others to win the nomination for governor. State Delegate Hala Ayala won a crowded field for nomination for lieutenant governor, and incumbent Attorney General Mark Herring beat out a primary challenger. Around the state, outspoken delegates Lee Carter, Mark Levine, and Ibrahim Samira failed to win their bids for renomination. All in all, a fairly clean sweep for the Democratic establishment, led by former Governor Terry McAuliffe, with several progressive candidates losing out to their more moderate or corporate-friendly challengers. So what happened to Virginia's progressive moment? Has the state already reached a new equilibrium in the post-Trump era? At the end of the day, candidates like Governor McAuliffe and, and Mark Herring won, and that's not really uh, a huge surprise. Of course, you know they brought in uh, large treasure chests and, of course, the power of the incumbency. Uh, so I don't think it was necessarily a referendum on, on any one brand of, of politics uh, as much as a consequence of, of how campaigns uh, work and don't work. That's Brennan Gilmore. He's the executive director of Clean Virginia, a social welfare organization dedicated to fighting the influence of utility monopolies in Virginia politics. In the second half of this episode, Brennan will discuss what last week's results mean for Clean Virginia and progressive organizations like it, especially when it comes to the question of corporate campaign donations. But first, let's go deeper into last week's Democratic primary. What's it mean for the average citizen like you or me here in Virginia? I sat down with friend of the show and Richmond-based journalist Peter Galaska. Well, Peter, we had the Democratic primary for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, as well as all the uh, uh, state House of Delegates uh, races around the state uh, last Tuesday. Uh, you know, there's, I think, uh, looking at the results, one of the frames that I immediately think of is what what happened to Virginia's progressive moment. You know, there, there had been a lot of commentary over the last uh, several years about Virginia's turn left. Um, you know, you and I have talked a number of times about the bluing of Virginia and the demographic changes driving that. Um, but I'm wondering, looking at these results, if it was actually a turn left. So why don't you take me through what's what actually happened, uh, who won, and um, and let's go from there. Okay. Well, obviously, for governor uh, Terry McAuliffe, the former governor, uh, you know, won the nomination again, and he is he's the epitome of the establishment Democratic Party of Virginia. And um, you know, he beat out, uh, he won with 62% of the vote, which is really pretty significant. In a field of five candidates, yeah. Right. And the runner-up was uh, Jennifer Carroll Foy, who had 20% of the vote. And she's a young, energetic, capable African-American uh, politician. He also beat out uh, Jennifer McCullen, who is much like Foy. And they were both seen as the, maybe a new wave. Uh, but I think that... Um, What's interesting, at least on the governor's side, is that it is, you know, a stretch to the moderate. But as far as the moderates prevail, I think there's a certain argument you could make that you need to backpedal a little bit because you're facing Glenn Youngkin, who is very rich and he had a kind of a spectacular win at the GOP convention. 
And um, he's very Trump, Trump-like. He's not 100% clear on his positions, but he's Trump-like. And when I've heard him speak, he definitely wants to go into things like election changes. So if he becomes governor, you might end up with some kind of, you know, uh, Texas or Georgia style disenfranchising of minority voters the way they're doing down there. Also, you'd see a pullback in, in gay and women's rights. Uh, you'd see changes in education, banning critical race theory. And I think a lot of Democrats said, wait a minute, we can't let that happen. So who who's has the best name recognition? That's McAuliffe. I mean, this is going to be a big money race. And it seems like the Democratic voters in this primary chose McAuliffe certainly for name recognition, but also, I mean, what I actually heard from some people was like, look, it's going to be a, a pound the fight with money. And, and Youngkin has said he'll put in, what, $20, 30000000 million of his own money. McAuliffe doesn't have that kind of personal wealth, but he has those kind of connections. I mean, is this just sort of like a, hey, let's fight fire or money in this case with more money? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point, And I think it's true. For one thing, don't forget McAuliffe is, has been really big in the National uh, Democrat National Committee, and he is a master fundraiser. He's in the mold of the Clintons. He's very close to them. And he really can raise money for himself, for his campaigns, and also for the National Party. Glenn Youngkin is worth, I guess, I've heard estimates of up to $300 million. And there's been stuff in the press where he might even give himself $75 million just for his campaign. Getting back to kind of the Democratic Party piece of this, looking at McAuliffe, you know, I interviewed him going into the primary season, and, and he basically was trying to frame himself as, look, I'm actually pretty progressive, y'all. It's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, remember when I was in office, uh, I was up against a, a Republican majorities in the House and the state state Senate. And so now with the Democratic majorities, I'll be doing great. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, how much do you how much do you buy that? Well, I don't know. He's kind of a slippery eel type guy. It's like frisking a seal. Um, because they'll say one thing. He say he's, he really touts his jobs, uh, you know, attraction thing. And I did a piece for the Post uh, just after he left office saying, well, you know, and I looked at how many jobs are created under a number, maybe five governors. And he was really in the middle. And he did have some problems, though, because his where, where he failed was action. It wasn't really his fault, but he wanted to expand Medicaid. Uh, mostly on the federal dime to 400,000 needy Virginians. And he was blocked completely for four years, maybe, by uh, Republicans in both the House of Delegates and the Senate. And so he was up against you know, the wall there. But he did do some things. I mean, he did restore rights to felons who had been served their sentences. And he did, did play a role in attracting Amazon uh, for its second headquarters up in northern Virginia. And he did you know, he did kind of push a number of, of things uh, that that aren't come haven't really in, you know, coming to fruition or have actually have, after he left. I mean, those are that's something the Post said in the you know, progressives are winning the war in that. What do you have since since McAuliffe left office? You've gotten rid of the death penalty, which is huge. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, voting voter restrictions, uh, you know, laws that will stop you know, efforts to restrict voting. And those are pretty progressive ideas. So it could be the idea is to run McAuliffe now, get him in office, blunt Yunkin, and then in the next four years, you can go to the more progressive candidates. I mean, maybe that's naive, but that seems to be the plan. I don't know if it's beneficial to think too hard about like political culture of a, of a given state or a given community, but there is something to be said about how things tend to work in, in a particular place. In Virginia, I feel like the political culture is very polite and 
even though we've talked about kind of like the old Virginia way not being the dominant thing like it used to be, there's still a lot of that, let's kind of get along and not veer too far from whatever the middle happens to be right now. I mean, yeah. is, that, is that accurate? I think that's true. Um, although I do think in Virginia that it's changing the idea, if you want to call it a conceit, that we're Virginia gentlemen and gentlewomen is kind of falling away because of, you know, people from other 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 parts of the United States and other countries are coming in. They're not necessarily rude people at all, but they're just they don't buy. They're just not they don't know that experience, that kind of you know idea that, you know, we're supposed to be nice people. And I'm not saying they're not, but that's kind of. I think over time that's dying away and it used to infuriate me because I mean, you know, I worked in New York too. And I mean, in Virginia, they would smile and stab you in the back in New York. They'd frown and stab you in the chest. So, you know, (laughs) it is, but in in many ways I preferred New York because at least I know where I stand. Right. Right. You know, I was talking with uh, Jeff Thomas uh, last summer, author of the Virginia way democracy and power after 2016, and his take on, on some of this is that, yeah, those old family dynasties in Virginia where like the Virginia gentlemen, the Virginia gentlewomen and the, the sort of personal relationship gets everything done. Some of that has eroded away for sure. Um, um, and now it's money and there's newcomers and the way you play the game is with money. Um, and so I'm kind of struck by that as a change in the political culture here, but it still seems to veer really hard toward uh, – like a sensibility that Virginia doesn't want to be the first on anything, but they're also, it would be impolite to be the last on anything. Well, Virginia runs sort of in the middle. I mean, but I do think that there are some things where Virginia vis-a-vis the South is ahead, such as marijuana, uh, decriminalization, and getting rid of the death penalty. And that that's where Virginia's moving, that kind of area. It's not going to be, it used to be like the, you know, political museum piece, as a famous historian put it, where it's sort of, <laughs> You know, it's changed. I mean, that was written, what, 60, 70 years ago? So, Yeah, so the sense that now Virginia is kind of uh, maybe middle of the pack in the country, but certainly kind of leans sort of left, uh, well, center or center left compared to the rest of the South. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at parts of the South have gone nuts, like Georgia. And like Texas, I mean, it's just really kind of shocking. Even some of the, even some of the last governor in North Carolina was pretty out there. Right. Yeah, really. I mean, you know, and I spent some time in North Carolina, too. I had my first job there in a newspaper. And so, you know, but we'll see. I don't know. Um, it's I, I do agree that there's a, a sense of place. And that's in many ways another reason why Virginia in its off-year election is getting a lot of national attention. McAuliffe's win was noted in major articles in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and other places. I think even the, the, the British media got into it. And because it's sort of a bellwether for whether the Trumpists will make a big run, you know, in run in 2022 and 2024. Yeah. And being this is a bellwether. Well, and Virginia was a bellwether, uh, you know, four years ago as well, uh, when, mm-hmm. you know, the, the House of Delegates flipped, uh, the, the Ralph Northam was elected as governor. I mean, you know, Virginia is only one year out from these presidential elections. And so in a lot of ways, we end up in this kind of awkward situation where we're a bit of a, you know, kind of a test run for the next year ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of true and in many other ways, too. Um, you know, and another thing that happened uh, was that two, um, you know, very, pro- not progressive, but certainly more moderate uh, women uh, won Congress, and that would be Abigail Spanberger and uh, uh, Elaine uh, Luria of, of down in Virginia Beach. 
And ironically, Spanberger is interesting because she kind of came off as a bit you know, progressive, but then she changed her tune when she got into Congress. She became much more moderate. Hmm. And, you know, there's there's this kind of play that sort of, you know, kabuki theater that goes on, especially among Democrats, where they, they're coming off this way for now as progressive, but they're really going to be moderate or they're coming off as moderate to get elected. And then all of a sudden they turn more progressive in office. Mm-hmm. And I haven't quite figured that out yet. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, a political calculations that go into their, their jobs every day, I suppose. Um, I saw at VPAP, the Virginia Public Access Project, uh, that the turnout this year for the gubernatorial election was down 17% from mm-hmm. four years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, that tells me that that at least one in six of those people who turned out last year just weren't engaged this year. I've seen that too. I've seen a story, I think it was in the Bull Elephant, which is a conservative blog, that there was especially low turnout in small localities. I mean, really down um, in the primary. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just political fatigue or that McAuliffe, everybody just knew that McAuliffe was going to win, uh, the, at least the nomination. And so, it, it, you know, and I think I think a lot of it is just exhaustion. You know, people are so sick and tired of, of you know, what's what's happened in the last you know four and a half years. So it's kind of like there was this this um, infusion of energy for a year or two, maybe three, uh, and now it's just kind of defaulting back to sort of what was normal before politically. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's, it depends on how temporary this is, um, whether something fires people up again. And, um, you know, Youngkin is kind of strange because, you know, he, he his, his background is in private equity with a huge company called the Carlisle Group in D.C., and they do global stuff, did global stuff. He's no longer with them. But, you know, and that's a really white shoe, you know, top of the line firm. He was the CEO and he's never had any political experience. Uh, and now he's just sort of coming across as a highly successful, rich businessman who's back, practically going to buy the election for himself if he can. And that's really different from some somebody like Trump, who is, you know, a lot, a lot of failed things going on there, you know. So looking ahead, what do progressives do next? I mean, you mentioned a, a Washington Post piece where they said that uh, the, the writer of that piece said that moderates won this election, but progressives are winning the long game. How How is that the case? Well, I think what's happening is that you're seeing things that I would never have seen or never imagined having seen, you know, maybe five years ago and certainly longer than that. Um, it's basically you're seeing things such as you've got the death penalty rid gotten rid of that. You've decriminalized marijuana. You've gotten the, the basis of a law to protect voting rights. And even an increase in the minimum wage, right? Yeah, minimum. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. That's an important one, too. And, um, you know, kind of trying somehow to buttress, uh, you know, public workers, uh, you know, unionization rights. And these would have been non-starters. Now they are starters. And so, you know, you got to, you know, go against tactics versus strategy. The tactics are, okay, you've got this problem, this post-Trump problem, and McAuliffe is probably has the name recognition, the money, that, um, you know, to, to blunt that. But the mentality, the overall strategy, the philosophy has become more progressive. No question about that. I mean, I was kind of interested in seeing either uh, Ms. Foy or Ms. McClellan win. Hopefully, though, we'll come back in the future. I doubt McAuliffe will can or will run for a third term. If you think of it as a long-term process, the move is still in the right direction. 
Peter Galaska is a journalist based in the Richmond area. Stick around. In the second half of this episode, we're talking to Clean Virginia's executive director, Brennan Gilmore. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. Have a friend who's trying to figure out Virginia state politics? Well, tell them about this show. And then subscribe in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are served up. And while you're there, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. We love those. Bold Dominion is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. Check out all the podcasts from the collective, including Teachers in the Movement. It's a new podcast that features the voices and stories from educators who taught between 1950 and 1980 throughout the South. It highlights how their education work was an instrumental form of activism that influenced the civil rights movement. Listen to hear some practical advice and ideas today for teachers, parents, and citizens who want to talk about race and democracy. That's Teachers in the Movement. You can listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. So earlier in this episode, Peter Galaska gave us a solid overview of the Democratic primaries last week. But what did last week's results mean for activists on the ground, trying to create systemic changes in the Commonwealth? For the second part of this episode, Bold Dominion producer Aryan Balu talked with Brennan Gilmore. He's an activist, organizer, and the executive director of Clean Virginia, which works to reduce the influence of corporate money in Virginia politics. I think, you know, a good, healthy primary is a great thing uh, for a party. And I think for the past six months and longer, uh, we had a very competitive cycle where you had a lot of different and diverse voices uh, contributing to the agenda and to what uh, the Democratic Party would be running on and governing on in, in the years to come. Um, and so, you know, watching this process play out, it, it was, uh, I think, a, a very healthy development. At the end of the day, candidates like Governor McAuliffe and, and Mark Herring won, and that's not really uh, a huge surprise. Of course, you know, they brought in uh, large treasure chests and, of course, the power of the incumbency. Uh, so I don't think it was necessarily a referendum on, on any one brand of, of politics uh, as much as uh, a consequence of, of how campaigns uh, how campaigns uh, work and, and don't work. But Clean Virginia um, supported at the statewide level, uh, Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy for governor and, uh, and Delegate Jay Jones for attorney general. Uh, and we're very proud to be able to, to help support their voices. I think they really drove the conversation uh, in a lot of ways through the primary process um, and will continue to be leaders in this space in, in the months and years to come. Right. So could you actually walk me through what specifically went into those endorsements, um, the decision-making process? Well, uh, we look at uh, a lot of things when we're looking at candidate endorsements. First and foremost, um, we look at a track record and, and, and the way that they uh, legislate and campaign that would suggest that they're not uh, beholden to utility uh, monopoly influence. Uh, we look for particularly at you know, whether they have taken money from Dominion Energy, uh, and whether they have been leaders uh, in, in a cleaner and more transparent government in Virginia. Both Jennifer Carroll Foy and Jay Jones have been just that. Uh, if you look at their legislative record, uh, the way they've campaigned and, and, and the voice that they have brought into the space, uh, they have been very much leaders of crafting a new Virginia way and one that's not putting corporate interests above uh, the interests of, of their constituents. Um, there were a number of great candidates in, in all of these races, really, both statewide um, and in delegate races as well. Uh, so we had to make some hard decisions uh, about who we would support. And we do that through a pretty exhaustive 
questionnaire and uh, an interview process, and also just looking how uh, how campaigns are running, who has a chance uh, to succeed, and then we make uh, make those calls and our funding follows. So you mentioned your endorsements for uh, the governor's race and for the attorney general's race, uh, but one race where you did not make an endorsement was for lieutenant governor. And in fact, there were several Democratic candidates who were clean Virginia approved instead. That's uh, Sam Rasool, Mark Levine, Sean Perryman, and also, until recently, uh, Delegate Hala Ayala. Uh, could you walk me through what happened with her and why that sort of uh, approval was pulled? Sure. Yeah, the lieutenant governor's races, we were, were we were really blessed with a, a wealth of riches in terms of candidates who had been very strong on our issues. Um, and so we did not uh, select one particular candidate for an endorsement, but essentially, as you said, uh, had candidates that were approved by Clean Virginia and who received um, some some campaign finance support uh, from us as well. Uh, Delegate Hala Ayala was one of those. Uh, she had a track record of, of many years of, of not taking uh, money from utility monopolies like Dominion Energy. Uh, and an un unfortunately, as a lot of folks know, um, she went back on that commitment uh, in the in the uh, last few days of the race and received a a large contribution from Dominion Energy that allowed her to uh, to continue that that campaign that she ran in the last few days. So we were uh, very disappointed. Uh, in that, um, I think any time that uh, a candidate you know makes a, a strong commitment to an issue, uh, whether it be taking money from regulated monopolies uh, or or any other issue, and then um, runs a campaign for a long time on that, and then turns it back on that commitment, uh, it's a real cause cause for concern. Um, nevertheless, uh, she she did win the race, um, and we certainly hope that uh, you, you know as as she campaigns and and moves to November, if she wins. Uh, and the general um, that that her uh, the role that she plays um, in in Virginia's government will will be one that does not uh, reflect um, the the kind of influence Dominion had and brought to bear in the primary. So uh, beyond just the sort of executive offices, there were also uh, uh, some losses for progressives in the legislature, uh, notably uh, delegates Lee Carter and Ibrahim Samira. Um, Given sort of all of these results, broadly speaking, what does it all say about uh, Virginia and its progressive moment? Uh, where where are we right now? Well, you know, we again look at these elections through uh, through the prism of the influence of regulated monopolies, and I think first and foremost, there was a very positive story in that you know thirteen of the Democratic primary candidates refused contributions from Dominion; they won their races. Uh, this is a, a stance and a position that not long ago, you know, was was considered political self-sabotage. Just three or four years ago, uh, there was only two or three people that, that did not did not take money from the utilities that they were supposed to regulate. Um, so this has become a, a very much a standard bearer of, of the Democratic Party. And so, you know, we were very heartened to see that. And even the statewide candidates, um, except for uh, Halayala, uh, both Governor McAuliffe and Attorney General Herring um, ran on not taking money from those regulated utilities. So we are very glad to see the the the, the political uh, stances on these issues has 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 changed significantly over the past few years. Um, you know, we also saw a, a candidate that we supported in a delegate race um, down in the Portsmouth area, uh, Nadarius Clark, who is uh, you know going to be one of the youngest delegates ever, um, a, a 26 year old community organizer. Um, he he. 
uh, unseated a, a longtime incumbent there, Delegate Steve Heretic, uh, who had been one of Dominion's fiercest allies. And, and that was a, a race where I think we saw a, a very new vision and view on um, what representation looks like. Um, you know, and, but as you said, we've, we've seen uh, names that we've seen before. Uh, we, I think the, the, the results certainly show uh, the power of the incumbency. Um, and, uh, and, and that's the case with uh, Governor McAuliffe, with Mark Herring as well. Um, but again, I think by and large, uh, this was a very good, uh, very good process um, for the Democratic Party. Uh, and we saw in candidates' platforms and positions uh, evolution, uh, a significant evolution on, on issues of, of climate, on an environment, uh, but other issues as well from just a few years ago. Uh, what role have activist groups like Clean Virginia, uh, what role kind of have they played in the political process and what role do you see them playing going forward to future races? I think Virginia has a, a, a very strong uh, set of, of uh, social welfare and activist organizations who have a very important voice um, in the electoral process, which fuses, of course, with the policy process, um, because we see a lot of, of ideas, of policy ideas, how, how these candidates would govern, um, be developed during the campaign season. Uh, and, and activist groups and, and, and non-governmental organizations uh, really do a lot to, to both bring good ideas to the table, promote those good ideas, and then hold candidates accountable uh, once they're in office. So I think you know, we, we look a lot at the role of, of regular Virginians and citizens in the governance process compared to large corporations who often have an undue influence uh, and an ability to, to control and manipulate the policy process more than average citizens. I think the activist groups, um, by and large, uh, are, are more objective representatives of, uh, of the interests of, of average Virginians um, than our giant corporations. So I, I'm quite heartened to see that, uh, that, that these groups continue to play a strong role in the democratic process, including uh, throughout the electoral season. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is Clean Virginia going to be up to in the next few months as we ramp up to the general election in uh, November? So we uh, have a primary endorsement process and a general uh, election season endorsement process as well. So we're moving uh, very much into that, um, looking at candidates in the general election. Uh, of course, we support all candidates that refuse money uh, from Dominion Energy and, and Appalachian Power and who don't own stock in those companies. Um, but then we look at, uh, at races that are particularly tight uh, and, and um, where one candidate um, is, is very good on these issues and another candidate isn't. Uh, and we provide campaign financing uh, beyond our, our, our standard contributions in those races. So we'll be going through that, um, that endorsement process uh, and, then, uh, and then moving forward to support, again, candidates who, who have a vision um, and view of what their role is in government uh, that echoes our own. Any sort of uh, last thoughts on the topic? Anything we haven't hit so far that uh, you want to talk about? Yeah, just the last thing I'd like to say is that, um, you know, we, Clean Virginia congratulates everyone that won uh, their primary races. Even, you know, there's, there's a number of races where we supported uh, a losing candidate, um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think that what we've seen 
over time is, is, is progress across the board on making uh, Virginia's system of government more representative, again, of, of, of the common interests and less of, of corporate interests. And we saw those conversations play out in the, in the primary, and we certainly expect that the winners of these races as they move towards November will, uh, will make prog- continue to make progress on those issues. Brennan Gilmore is the executive director of Clean Virginia, an advocacy organization that works at the nexus of clean government and clean energy. Thanks to him and journalist Peter Glaska for joining us this week. My name's Nathan Moore, and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Big thanks, as always, to our producer, Aryan Balu. Find this show online at bolddominion.org. And hey, we're always on the lookout for topics for future episodes. You can send your ideas to our email address, bolddominion at virginia.edu. That's bolddominion at virginia.edu. You can direct messages on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, if that's your thing instead. I'll talk to you again in two short weeks.